0: We, we are in week seven, if you have not been paying attention, the Bible in seven weeks. So that means we're done today. So the way that we divided it up, I'll do a little bit of review. Some of you are totally unimpressed by that. So I, I think it's a good job. You guys did a, a good job getting through the whole Bible in seven weeks. So we'll do a, a little bit of a review, very short, and then we're going to jump into the last book, Revelation. I'll kind of talk about why I put that way at the end. And so we, are, we covered the beginnings. Remember, Micah preached on that, the beginnings, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that's the beginning of time, but also the beginning of the Jewish people as a nation, so that Abraham has kids, and then that becomes the Jewish nation. These kids grow, and the nation gets bigger and bigger, and then eventually get, they end up in Egypt because of that. Remember, Joseph was the one son, and then he brings the whole nation back, and then Moses is the one who leads him out. He's 100, I mean, he's 80 years old when he does that, so if you're feeling like... You don't want to do anything except drink coffee step it up step it up he led a whole nation like six million people two million people out of the the nation of uh, egypt so they get to the desert we don't know the exact circumstances but god says you know what you're not going to enter the promised land so now he hands this off to joshua and then we have the time of the judges remember that with the historical books and then we get to the kings and there's hardly any good kings so we're kind of moving through our time i'll make the timeline for you it's going this direction so we're going through the kings, and then finally, we get to the prophets. We did 17 books. We kind of cheated a little bit. So we're like, okay, now we'll cover 17 books in a row. And I'm still recovering from doing that. That was pretty hard. So we did 17 books on the prophets, which are basically God's mouthpieces. Remember, this is just God speaking through certain men into certain lives. So I think when you read the prophets, that's what we take away from it. What does this say to me, and what does this say to my own heart? Then we jump to the New Testament. Out of order. Out of order. Because the way our preaching schedule works. So Micah covered uh, just last week the Gospels. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are distinct. So uh, Matthew is to Jewish people. A lot of Old Testament prophecy. And then we covered uh, Mark, which is all action. So when you read the book of Mark, if you can't, you're like, I don't know if I could read a whole book today. Just read the book of Mark. It is all action, all the time, all the miracles. It says, and then, and then, and then. That's literally what it's translated. And then, and then, and then. So it goes on and on. Uh, Luke, remember, is not one of the disciples he was just a believer who wanted to know history. So he he did some research and he does a history of Jesus and the biography for him, and then goes on to the book of Acts. And then finally we get to John. And the reason I end in John is because John writes five books. And uh, one of those books that he's written is the Gospel of John, kind of circular in nature. If you follow it, I feel like I'm out of the light. Am I out of the light if I stand here? Okay. One person said yes, so okay. I'll just shine my phone at my face if I move in right like this, just for you so you can see. So that of these books, and, and John writes that, and he also writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John. Remember when he talked about the letters and how fascinating it is that God prepared Paul for such a circumstance, an unbeliever who follows God so zealously, and then he goes into like kind of preparation for 8 to 10 years, and God says, okay, you're up. You're on deck. Let's go. So he goes over there, and he starts spreading the word. He writes all these letters to kind of churches like ours. And sometimes he was only there like three weeks, and then he would send a letter. So any issues they had would be taken over by letter. And that's kind of how it went. And some of those letters that are written or some of those books that we call them the epistles are 1st, uh, 2nd, and 3rd John. Those are written by the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is, of course, John. Some people say it's a relative of Jesus. We don't know that, but I think some of that's conjecture a little bit because remember when Jesus was on the cross and he says to John like today, this is your son, and today, this is your mother. He says, take care of my mom, basically, because I'm going to die. So that's kind of the deal. So you'd assume there's a really pretty close relationship. I don't know if you're, you know someone that well, that if you're getting sick, you'd say, hey, can you look after my family? I think, I think we all know people like that. Or do, can you look after my parents? Because, you know, it's not going well for me. So that's the story. So John is a fascinating character of all the apostles. He's the one we believe was never martyred. So all the rest were martyred, hung upside down, like Peter, that's what tradition says, or I think James was sawed in half. I mean, they all have unique ways that they died. And John, do you know his story? He's preaching the gospel, and this is getting late to the, I said he's 100 years old, that's not actually true, but um, when he got to around 100 AD is when he died, we believe, and he got put into exile to the island of Patmos. So I figured you didn't know where that was, so I got a handy map right here. You can see the star. The star is, if you look on a satellite, there is no star there. That's just for your benefit. So the island of Patmos is there. This is the the Aegean Sea. Greece is kind of over to the left. And then I got some pictures so we can. Yeah, poor John, right? (laughs) Like, like, Like this is... I always felt bad for him because I just pictured like this dirt aisle or something like this, like Gilligan's Island or something like that. And there's no professor there to make like cars out of bamboo, but like what does he have? It's beautiful. So if you, (laughs) yeah, poor John. So, but the tradition says, that's the monastery of St. John is up on the top, that kind of fortress looking building. And so tradition says this, and and there's pretty good reason to believe some of these traditions, but tradition says that by the end of his life, he couldn't see very well. And people would pick him up and they would carry him, and then he would sit. So this is, this is biblical when I sit down to preach. So they would set him down, and then he couldn't see what was going on, and he would just talk about what it was like to be around Jesus. And I think that would be pretty awesome. So people would travel. He couldn't leave the island. He didn't want to leave the island. Maybe we'll say it that way. So he didn't want to leave the island. People would travel to him, and they would just want to hear his story. So we're going to get into his final book, and his final book is the book of Revelation. And Revelation is just weird. How many of you, this is your favorite book? One. So one out of like a hundred some people. Like I've, you're the first person in my whole ministry that has said this is your favorite book. and um, This has never happened before because most people come to me and they're like, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying this. They're reading the Bible. And they're like, what is going on with Revelation? Like what is the deal? And so I put it a little bit separate because it is so unique. The type of literature that they call it is a, um Apocalyptic which is not apocryphal. Apocryphal means false. Apocalyptic means like kind of end of the world kind of stuff. So if you've read the book of, of Revelation, you're going, what is going on? That's usually what you're saying. So what we're going to do today, this is our goal, is we're going to simplify it so that when you read it next time, you're like, okay, I get it. All right? Does that sound fair? This is what we're going to attempt to do in, uh, in 14 minutes. So this is how the book starts out. This is, and it doesn't sound like he just, like the other books God inspired him, he writes the book of John. You know, he writes the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And this one, it seems like he's just hanging out in Patmos, and this is what happens. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ. So Jesus appears to him through an angel, and sometimes in person in these visions, and tells him, you got to write this down. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants that what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, and then it continues, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I read the book of Revelation out loud yesterday for this reason, so I thought I got to do this. So I read it, it takes about an hour or something like that. So words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. Of course, what time are we talking about? the end of the world right god works on a different time clock that we they work on you know this is god works on the same time clock as my wife you know like are you almost ready yeah i'm almost ready god works on the same one god says the end of the world is near that means within 2000 years <laughs> maybe you know so like that we haven't got there so he's saying the end of the time is near so you got to be aware this is kind of the theme of the new testament that the end of the world could come at any point and so in this book, though, what makes it so difficult is because there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. When you read it, you're like, what is even happening? So there's a lot of sevens. So these are just some of the sevens in the Bible, but also some of the ones that come. The words, the number seven in the book of Revelation is mentioned 52 times. And you'll see like the seven golden lampstands that show the kids, the seven stars. And then there's um, difficult things and plagues that come through the seven seals, we got the seven trumpets also bring that. The seven bowls bring this. So we got again and again and again. We have all this seven and seven and seven. What's the deal with that? Well, th- every culture has different numbers that mean something to them and some that don't. So in our culture, what would be a bad number? What's that? 13, 13 is pretty typical. You'll even get to hotels that don't have a 13th floor. I, I mean, I've heard that. I haven't seen it. I just heard that that happened. Has anyone been in an elevator with no thirteen? How do you feel if you actually are on floor 14? I feel duped. That's what I would feel, right? <laughs> like this is, like I, I feel like there's no vacant floor in between or something like that. So, right, so 13 is bad. Is there any other numbers that are bad? Zero. Tom Brady's number, that's bad. I mean, there's other, there's other ones. Like zero. There's a couple. There's a couple just culturally you'd say, ooh, that's not a great number, right? 666, six, six, would anyone? Who thinks twice when you see a phone number? It just, just literally happened to me like two days ago. I'm about to dial this phone number. I'm like, I would get mine changed if it was 666, wouldn't you? There's a reason for that we'll talk about in the book of Revelation. So there's certain numbers in certain cultures. Jewish culture is a little bit different, and they have numbers that mean something and some that don't. In our culture, the same thing. Um, you'd say, here's a good number, here's a bad number. That's kind of the way it goes. And some of the good numbers that kind of have this sense of completeness and rightness and goodness, when we talk about the in the Bible, is seven and sometimes they'll talk about the 70 times 7 and things like that, 7. Uh, 10 is a big number. This is a complete number. Or 1,000, you'll start to see numbers like that. 12 is a big number. Uh, biblically, you'll see the number 40 comes up a lot. So this, these are good numbers. And basically, the only bad number is 7. I mean 6. There we go, not 7. 7 is good. 7 is good. So, so all this symbolic language, whenever you see 7, you're saying, okay, that means it's something is done to its completeness, it's full. Does that make sense? um so he continues to know and and there's a couple things that are also confusing because when you read the book of revelation you're like is this happening now is this happening in the future and and what is happening it, and it's a little bit difficult because there's kind of layers in the book of revelation when you open it up some of the things they're talking about are happening right then at that time so he has seven letters written to seven churches and some of that is two of specific church that is functioning at that time so you're saying okay And then some of it is things that are going to happen in the very near future from their time, you know, like less than 2,000 or uh, 300,000 years or whatever when the end of the world comes. Some of it is kind of the immediate future. And then some of it is happening when you read about it is all a picture of what's going to happen towards the end of the world. So now when you read this, you're like, okay, what time period are we talking about? And it gets even more confusing because some of these layers happen at the same time. So let me give you an example. Um, There's seven letters written to seven churches. And you're saying, okay, these are real churches. But just like the um, epistles that were written by Paul, like this is beneficial to us. Like when we read the book of 1 Corinthians, this is beneficial to us as Christians. So we would assume we read one of these seven letters to these seven churches. There's something that we should take away from it. So the pattern, which I'll kind of get to, is this is Jesus telling, he says to John, I want you to write this about this particular church. Here's the deal. So here's an example from the, the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance it's the pattern goes it's like almost not quite a criticism sandwich but it says like hey you're doing this great this not so much and some of the churches like Laodicea has no good things so it just read out like he said you're like lukewarm I want to spit you out of my mouth right this is and, and that makes sense because if you've ever been in a relationship and the love and hate are really really close and I think the opposite of love is apathy have you ever been in a relationship where someone just doesn't care at all and you're just like, get, get out of here. I would rather have someone who is like screaming mad or, or like a kid. Just imagine if you say to your kids, like, I love you, dad. And then they're like, hey, what do you want to do And They're like, whatever. I would rather have them say, I do not want to do that whatsoever. I hate that idea. Then just go like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Same, Jesus felt the same way, which is interesting when he looks at one of the churches. So this is from the book of uh, Ephesians. I mean, uh, the church at Ephesus, whom the book of Ephesians was written where Paul stayed there three years. So I know your deeds, Jesus said. This is Jesus talking to the church through John. Your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's pretty solid, right? Who does that sound like? Sounds like Germans to me. Like if if, if there's like a German colony of people that were, like, the history of my family is German and Norwegian, and I think about, like, the history of our church has a lot of German people in it. This sounds like the people I grew up with. So then, but then listen closely, because I think this is why I picked this one, because this kind of hits home for me. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So what is this point to this church? He says you do a lot of the things, right? Your, your doctrinal purity is fantastic and you look out for people who are teaching false things, that's good, right? You're upholding God's word, but what the danger is, the danger is you've lost your love for me or for people, like this is a big deal. And so there's seven examples of these churches and I think the reason these would be beneficial when you're reading these is to say, on a church level, this makes sense? But then on a personal level, you say, do, do, do I look like any of these churches and when Jesus talks to me, is, is there one of these that fits me more than the other? Does that make sense? And so now we have the first part, these letters, and then we have the very difficult middle part of the book of Revelation. So most people who want a Bible class in Revelation, I get this request all the time, like, hey, we should do a Bible class in Revelation. It's super great for the first, like, two chapters, and then it gets really redundant. So if you read the book of Revelation, you're like, didn't we just cover, like, seven plagues of happening? This happens three different times. So we have, like, the seven uh, trumpets, and then we have the seven bowls way at the end, you know, like the, this Calamity is coming. So um, all of this is a picture in this middle section to say the world is not good towards the end of the world. Does that sound fair? So he says you're getting ready for the end of the world and the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that I have no idea why that picture's in there. (laughs) I have no idea. We transferred the This is Abraham as a pro wrestler, apparently. I don't know what it, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So. so it gets all the way to the point, but then way at the end, it starts talking in this very cryptic language. And it's a little bit disturbing because it starts using visual pictures to talk about the evil that's in the world. And there's two things that it talks about that people are familiar with. It talks about the beast, and the beast, of course, is the devil. And then also in that conversation, it talks about how, like, people of the beast are going to come. And it has two things, and it says two beasts. And these are some of the descriptive categories of them. The commentators that are good commentators come down to both sides, but they're saying one of these beasts would be considered the Antichrist, and one of these beasts would be considered like an a anti-Christian authority, a government. And they flip those around. is the first beast, the government. is the first beast, the Antichrist. They mix it up. But the point is, like, we're going to live in a society, and I'm going to give you a few examples of what it's saying is coming, and you tell me if this sounds familiar. So people worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worship the beast and asked, "Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it?" And th- what is so scary about that point right there? There, there is an anti-Christian. There's a person, and it says in other parts, this antichrist is going to set themselves up in the place of Christ, and people are going to actually worship this. They're going to worship this idea, and and instead of worshiping the true God, there's this idea that evil is going to come, and people are going to worship that evil, and that's going to be who their life is. They're going to follow it. So this is, I think, kind of one of the more frightening things when you get into the book of Revelation. Um, It continues. This is also 13. It was also forced, uh, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands, and you hear a lot of people talk about this or on their foreheads. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So we get this idea that somehow you're not going to function in this economy, which is strange. You're not going to function in this economy unless you're somehow connected to this evil. Is that disturbing? I think that's disturbing. Uh, This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And you know this one. The number is 666 when you hear about this number they're saying the mark of the beast the mark of evil that is coming so all this uh, section one john says i see this vision section two he writes these letters to the churches and then this whole middle section is just talking about how the world is going to get worse like kind of going down a spiral worse and worse and worse and when you read that you're going oh there's plagues, and there's boils, and there's famine, and it's going down. And this is where the four horsemen come in when you have seen pictures of Revelation. Usually you'd say, just type in images of Revelation. You're going to either see a dragon with a harlot on the back, or you're going to see like Jesus in the lampstands, or you're going to see like the four horsemen. And like it's, getting, it's going down and down and down. And as a Christian, you're going like, I'm still alive. And the world is going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's not that enjoyable to read but it continues. But this is what Jesus says about the end of the world. They, they have some other symbolism that talks about like this thousand years and like when it's going to, it's going to get so bad that the, the beast, it says, is going to be unleashed. It says the devil is going to be on a chain, but still unleashed. And it talks about how it's, the world is going to go a time this time of tribulation. Now, a number of your friends, especially if you have Christian friends, might talk about how we're going to be raptured out of the tribulation. Is that a familiar term? So if you look in Thessalonians, there's this vision that says, like, people are going to be caught up in the clouds. This is biblical, right? You're going to be raptured, but not in the way they understand it. The way that many of your friends are going to understand this is that when the world starts to go really bad, that Jesus is just going to snatch us up out of this tribulation, and then the world's going to go really, really south with just unbelievers here on earth. That's not how the Bible talks about it. And the Bible, the way that the Bible talks about it is like we are not withheld from a lot of these tribulations that are gonna come and the, Bible, the world's gonna get worse and worse in a time where the, the, the devil is unleashed. And here's the picture that Jesus said. This is, you know, 2,000 plus years ago. He sits down with his disciples. Sits down with his disciples and this is what Jesus said. They said, like, when's the end of the world coming? And he goes, tell you what, um, I'm gonna tell you some clues that you should look for and then you'll know. Uh, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. So we got false prophets. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains, meaning like once it starts, birth things, once they start, they don't stop, right? It just continues. Then you will be handed over. And who is he talking to? The disciples? he's talking to you, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. This last century, there's more martyrs than any other century put together. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you read Jesus, this is 2,000 years ago, before John wrote the book of Revelation, do you see anything there that hasn't happened? Like, we're, we're living what we call the end times, and when people talk about a millennia, like a 1,000 years, that's, again, it's a, you know, 10 times 10 times 10. It's this set number of period before the end of the world is going to come. So Jesus is saying to his people, you know what, the end of the world is going to come at any moment and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I, there's a lot of times when I was at um at seminary, I remember distinctly one of our professors said, "You know what? I'm so glad you guys are going out into go be pastors and I'm just about done." And I thought, "What does that even mean? Like what is that? Like that's terrible. Like I'm super excited and now um seeing where the world is going." And my son talks about once in a while being a pastor, not all the time. It's, you know, between pl- in the MBA and then being a pastor, which are basically the same thing, right? (laughs) I make more than NBA guys, but I mean, otherwise, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So, but you know why I really struggle with that? Because I think it is so hard where the world is going, and it's going, you know, more and more sin, and more and more people just turning away from God, and more and more persecution, and more and more difficulty. I can't imagine how hard it would be to pastor. I'm going to be a pastor for, what, 20 some years more? I can't imagine what it's like 60 years from now, like how hard it will be say here is what god's word says and so the book of revelation as as a christian is these letters to these churches and then it goes farther and farther south and you're going you know what we're done like why do we even try and that's when you get to the end and when you get to the book end of the book of revelation starts like 19 and 20 21 22 that's when jesus says like now i'm going to step in now it's my turn like And someone, I was reading about a missionary, and someone asked, like, when Jesus comes again, it says his voice will be like a trumpet. And they asked, like, what is he going to say? And the missionary said, well, I don't know exactly, but I think it's going to basically be enough. You know, I'm done with this. Like, let's, we got to make things right. And so when you read the book of Revelation, you got to read it like that. It's like a story that we're in hard, hard times. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. You should not be surprised. But then Jesus comes, and that's when victory comes. Here's how it talks about it. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. This is God, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And these, you know, when you you hear about people talk about the Book of Life, this is where they get it from. Another book was opened, which is the Book of Life. So we have this book of the deeds of unbelievers, and then we have the Book of Life, and it says the dead were judged. The dead is like another word for the unbeliever, because they talk about spiritually alive and spiritually dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in these books. That's a scary thing. And, and, and that's one of the harder things that I think as we get farther and farther to talk to someone and say, there is a day if you don't, you're not with Christ, you have to answer to God. And the way that the Bible describes it is the person is simply saying, I'm going to be judged by what I've done. And so you just think about this. Like, how would you feel if Jesus showed up tomorrow and said, I'm going to judge you by what you've done? it doesn't even feel good t- to judge by your own rules. And this is an example, if you just think about um, like your own set of parameters, like I, you journal, does anyone journal? I should journal, it's in my journal that I should journal every day, but I don't, all right? So that's how it works, right? And so every one of us has like this, this idea in our head, like what, what are our parameters and what is good? And so I got this list of things I, I can open up to the page and it says, okay, here's current habits. Here's the habits I want to do. So I matched them up, right? So this is, I, you know, I, I'm getting up between this time and this time. I really want to get up exactly at this time every day for consistency. You know, we can nerd out about some of this stuff. So it goes all the way down the line. How would I do just judging by my own standards? How would you do judging by your own standards? Like your own list, right? I'm not asking, you don't have to go by your husband's list, your wife's list, your boss's list. You make the list that says, here's what it means to be a solid citizen. How would you do against that list? And my question is, like, when you go to bed at night, how do you feel? And a lot of times the guilt we feel isn't because of other people's judgment against us. It's just because we haven't lived up to our own standards. How does it feel if we can't even live up to our own standards to stand before a holy God? And he lays open a book It says, I'm going to just start reading what you have done. And if you want to talk about feeling small, so this is what comes at the end. God says, the unbelievers say, I'm going with me. As a believer, you get to stand before God and said, check the book of life. Just take a look. And God, you know, goes down, goes down, goes down. Oldenburg, you're good. The book of Revelation is a story of victory because you get to the end and it is God's declaration to believers that because of Christ, your sins are totally wiped out and you don't have to be judged on what you do. You don't have to worry and feel this way at night. You don't have to worry about what's happening in the world as it goes down this pit. You can have a heart for people, but you don't have to worry about where you stand because God says it's taken care of. And so the next verses, I think, talks about like Jesus comes, the beast is unleashed, he destroys the beast and it says it throws the devil in the abyss right jesus is going to come and utterly destroy the devil finally and send him into hell and then finally we get to this then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away and there was no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven this is john seeing this from jesus prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. God is with us because we are forgiven. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true he said to me it is done a little bit later in chapter 22 the last chapter of the whole book he comes down to a simple point when we talk about the end of the world He said i'm the alpha the omega the beginning the end the thirsty i will give water without cost and the spring of the water of life and then he says look i am coming soon you know god's timing is different than our timing i think right but that doesn't mean that Jesus is not going his, to, his coming is imminent. I don't know if the world is bad enough that Jesus is going to show up tomorrow, uh, but I do know that God is putting this in his word for a reason. I, you know, you don't always get it. You don't get the symbols. You don't get the bowls. You don't get the trumpets. You don't understand like what is happening. Why are there stars in his hands? And why, you know, why is this, why are these 24 elders bowing down? Like what is happening in this book? But the, the book of Revelation is simple. God gives a vision that says the end of the world is coming and I want you to be ready and i want this to be in the front of your mind repent just as he called those churches to repent and find hopeful joy because god has said i have done enough your name is in the book of life amen let's pray uh heavenly father son and holy spirit we've looked at all the books of the bible very quickly some of them but we see very clearly that there's a reason you have every book in your scriptures and that is for us and our salvation you're you're carrying us to the end and there is a time when we struggle now of course we struggle but there is a time where we're going to go to a place where there's no more sorrow or no more tears and and all the new order of things is set apart and no longer are you far away from us but instead you dwell among us and the only way that's possible is because you've wrapped us in your robe of righteousness you're the alpha the omega we look forward to this day and give us the courage to stand out in this community in this world and make a difference not just physically but make a difference spiritually in the lives that don't know who you are we ask this in your name